It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's a place here at the table. Your coats go by the door. You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor. I hope you wore elastic because your waistband's going to get tight. Take time. Hi guys, it's Ari and Sophie, and you are listening to Having a Night, a podcast dedicated to the reviving the lost art of the dinner party. I was actually just thinking today, I was like, wow, we talk about so much more than the lost art of the dinner party, but it still feels like really the heart of our podcast is about hosting. Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, but I, I do love the tagline. Me too. I'm not ready to give it up. Certainly not. I also feel like, oh man, once people are allowed to have people back in their houses again, whoa. The stock's going <laughs> way up. Yeah. 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 Invest now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so all right, what'd you eat this week? I am in Michigan with my family and my dad bought his second rotisserie. Uh, so now he has one in Chicago and in Michigan. And I don't know if I've ever helped out when he's done it or really like been there from start to finish. But we, uh, rotisseried, a, is that the, is that the verb rotisseried? Sure. Why not? We rotisseried a chicken. Uh, I will post a photo of it. It was gorgeous. It was unbelievable. We started, I mean, we must've, I don't know, five hours, six hours. We started it really high up because it's in open air and you don't want it. It's really low and slow. But so it was, it was incredible. It was like the best, almost smoked rotisserie chicken wow. I've ever had. The whole thing was very moist. Mm. And this flavor, flavor of, um, I think we used some uh, cedar wood chips and coal. And it was absolutely delicious. I was actually in Nantucket with the wonderful Bianca Bosker, who wrote Cork Dork, who we have had mm-hmm. on the podcast. She's so incredible. If you haven't uh, listened to that episode, please go back and listen. Don't worry, guys. We were all tested before we all hung out. Please don't stress. We wore masks. We made a kind of pasta called Pichi, I want to say. P-I-C-C-I. So she and her husband made the dough, and then Harry and I did the rolling out while they did all the rest of the cooking. Guys, they were so, such incredible hosts. It was like truly next level. But it's a dough, so it's semolina, regular flour, and water. So no eggs, nice. which I've never actually made. I didn't a pasta know that. That's like the original, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like usually when you buy pasta in the store, they usually don't have eggs unless you're buying egg noodles. But mm-hmm. in my head, I was like, but a human can't do that. Like you have to have like a machine or something. I don't know what I was thinking. So it's a beautiful, very soft actually dough. I thought it was going to be kind of too dry. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Roll it out with a rolling pin and then you cut it into strips into like, you know, sort of half a centimeter wide strips. And then you roll it between your fingers until it becomes a really long, long noodle. And then you cook it and it was like 
it was so fun. It was so good. It was very easy. And then mm-hmm. she made um, an eggplant, tomato, and fresh mozzarella sauce. And it was just so perfect. And they were very al dente, like very oh, al dente. So that sounds so good. Yeah, Maybe that's what I need to do with these, these gorgeous eggplants I just got at the farmer's market up here. Yeah. So, I've been a little okay. bored with just grilling them. Her trick was, so she cubed it and salted mm-hmm. it beforehand and then sauteed it in olive oil and she did the tomatoes separately. So she did not cook the two of them together. Eggplant was cooked separately. Then the tomatoes were roasted in the oven, like uh-huh. low slow in the oven for a while. And then they were tossed together with the pasta. So they did not meet until they also met the pasta. That's mm-hmm. genius. Cause then the eggplant won't break down. Exactly. Because I'm the, per- I, basically it's like, if I make an eggplant sauce for pasta, it's practically ratatouille. You yeah. Know, it's like falling apart, which is yeah. not what you want. So no. this was like the eggplant stayed whole, but, but it was like really, you know, had been cooked so well. And the pre-salting of course really just helps get rid of the water. Anyways, woo. Excellent. You guys, this week we have part two of our Chicago series, and we are so excited to finally have on our good friend, Alana Shulman. She worked for years uh, producing food shows on Munchies, which is Vice's culinary channel. Um, she, more importantly, is has grown up in the food industry, and she is on track to take over uh, the legendary Eli's Cheesecake, which is her family's company. Uh, So it's really, really exciting. She just moved back to Chicago and she's kind of shadowing her dad and she's about to take over this empire, which is awesome. She also went to Ballymaloo, which is this incredible, beautiful, unbelievable, wow, could I use any more adjectives, um, cooking school in Ireland and spent, I think she spent three months there. Yeah. Yeah, she At did least. Like a full cooking course and it's really intensive, but really fabulous. Um, and she did that last year and just has, you know, the most amazing photos and stories to tell about it. I got to visit it in February and it's like, I'm so envious that she got to spend all that time there. But so not only is she taking over the Eli's Cheesecake Mantle, she's also a professionally trained chef. So, so there. She does it all. She really can do it all. Yeah. She's the coolest, the funniest, the most fun. She rocks Jam's world, which as you know, Ari and I are obsessed with. So enjoy. I mean, well, we think of course you're going to love this episode. Hi guys. We are here with our good friend, Alana. Finally. Hi, Alana. Hi, Ari and Sophie. I'm so honored to be here. Oh, we We're couldn't so- be happier. Part of not only a cheesecake dynasty, but a Chicago cheesecake dynasty. It's a big deal. It's a very big deal for us. Thank you for finally coming on. I'm so happy. So let's just talk a bit about Eli's and your family restaurant and legacy. So Eli's started, Eli's the place for steak as a steakhouse. Can you just give us a little background? I'm sure you've like, you've got the elevator pitch. You've done it a million times, but like, how would you describe it to someone who is not from the Chicago area? How would you describe it to me? (laughs) (laughs) That girl. The cheesecake itself. Well, Sophie, you obviously are very familiar with New York style cheesecake. Probably most iconic thing is the crust, Graham. Graham Graham. Is that ringing a bell? <laughs> oh, yes. oh, it's ringing some bells. Ding a ling. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I find New York cheesecake to be on the denser side, but a little bit like the mouth feels maybe like a little drier to me than Chicago style. 
Totally. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Okay. I'm feeling it in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> so mm. Eli's cheesecake is on an all butter shortbread cookie crust right out of the gate. Totally much better. <laughs> <laughs> so much better. More <laughs> butter. Yeah. Our cheesecake is very, very like rich and creamy. It's sort of like the mouth feels like a little bit like ice cream sometimes, I think. Mm-hmm. And when my grandfather created this recipe, he sort of broke all the rules. It's a it's a dry, hot bake as opposed to a water bath, which most people think like, oh, always a water bath for cheesecake. What does the dry, oh. hot bake do that is that is the differential? You get a really nice caramelization on the outside and the mm. cake almost like souffles. And mm. then the interior is super rich and creamy. So I really like prefer that because I also love when things are a little more rustic looking, a little darker. Mm -hmm. And if you look back to like my grandfather's original cheesecakes, like photos of him at the steakhouse, they're like super, super dark where now sometimes we have to sell those really dark ones as sweet imperfections, which is like, Oh wow. A visual flaw, like because someone might complain it's too dark. Whereas that's my preference. Right. I have to tell all of our listeners that Alana sent me a chocolate chip Eli's cheesecake for my wedding, and it was spectacular. It got there. Luckily, we had it the week after the wedding, so we like had a week to kind of decompress before digging in, and it was oh a true delight. It was the texture is so different. It's funny because like I didn't know that there was a difference in the cheesecake, so I wasn't sure what to expect, and it really is such a different. It's it's almost like a creme fraîchie texture. Mm-hmm. Yes. And flavor wise, we use like so, real slow cultured sour cream and cream cheese, like to a speck that we have determined, like with the cream cheese and sour cream maker. So amazing. Definitely, like you taste that cultured note that you would not always get from other cheesecakes. And I would say it's very balanced in terms of sweetness. It's not like that oversweet, like you don't get any of the dairy notes. You right. Get at all. <laughs> right. Wow. No, you need that tang, you, need you know, tang. it's, or else you might as well, I don't know, be having just ice cream or so, or just like, that's what makes it that so either, good. But. That's sort of my um, elevator pitch on what is Chicago style. But in terms of my grandfather's like history and how he got to make this cake, I think it's really cool because he didn't even invent this recipe and sort of discover the side of him to like very late in his career. He, grew, he was born in Chicago in 1910. Um, his father died really young. So basically he dropped out of school, like in middle school, and then just started finding odd jobs to support his family. He was like selling shoes at Maxwell Street Market, which we'll get mm. into later because Maxwell Street is sort of like this birthplace of so many amazing Chicago foods because there was like all these different immigrant communities coming together there. Right. And he saw a for, a for lease sign in the 40s um, on the west side of Chicago and then decided to open up a restaurant because he basically really loved to eat. He was not a, a trained chef. He didn't really work in kitchens. It was called the Ogden Huddle. He opened that. Then shortly after he got drafted into the war where he ended up actually cooking like as his job in the military, which really worked out. Yeah. He learned a lot there. And my dad always told me the story that he was famous for putting Coca-Cola on the water fountains. Oh my God. <laughs> like one of those legends where you're like, I don't even know how that's possible, but I will believe it happened. Right. 
And then he came back to Chicago and he opened an amazing Jewish deli on Oak Street. At that time, Oak Street was very much like the place to be. There was Mr. Kelly's, which was this like jazz club where Barbara Streisand had her first like show there where no one knew who she was. Like all these comedians would come through and then they would come to the deli and have like a corned beef sandwich. There was a huge block of halava that people would just like, there was a oh my God. cut through it and weigh it and sell it Stop. to you. Stop. I love Crazy. that. Then the deli burned down and then sort of he opened up his dream restaurant, which was Eli's a place for steak. And I mean, it's kind of like everything you would imagine as an old school steakhouse, um, famous for things like liver and onions, um, mm-hmm. matzo ball soup, chopped liver, obviously steak and all of those things. Wedge salad, a classic. But this a is lot. interesting because I don't think about like liver and onions and matzo ball soup as being a steakhousey thing. But like, is it, are a lot of the steakhouses in Chicago also Jewish? Like, is that an element? Well, this is such a good question. And, and when I listened to part one and you guys were talking about like, what is a Chicago style steakhouse? I was thinking mm-hmm. sort of about it. And I just kind of feel like it sort of depends on, this sounds dumb, but like the ownership, like for us, yeah. it was like this Eastern European Jewish heritage, like Gina Giorgetti's is like Italian American. Exactly. Um, like, you know, Peter Luger's is going to be something totally different in New York. So right. I don't know if there's a, co- a commonality between Chicago steakhouses, but yeah. like ours was definitely Jewish. Yeah, I mean, that. maybe I'm making all of this up, but to me, like, just it's Chicago style. It just feels more like something about it feels more fancy. Like when you go to a Chicago style steakhouse, it's like a night out. It's like a special night, and not that it isn't in New York, but it doesn't have the same presentation. Like I, my next question, Alana was like, "Was the piano there from the beginning?" Because that was like such a big part of Eli's. Like someone's always playing piano. It just felt like this is a fancy night. Totally. And Sophie, so when you would enter in the steakhouse, there was a gigantic piano bar where you would just like sit and have your drink and Hal Roach would play the piano. And then, you know, and my dad and I talk about this a lot because my dad, he worked in this, in the steakhouse and he was there sort of after my grandfather passed away. And like my dad always said, you know, it really was Eli that created the space. And I think like, I always am searching for that now in restaurants. Like, who's, like, the person that owns it and is there? Or, like, the art of, like, the maitre d', like, at these, like, storied establishments and these people that um, run these restaurants that, like, know the regular clientele. Like, There's kind of, like, these old-school hospitality, like, masterminds. First of all, Eli's the place for steak. It just sounds like talk about having a night, right? It's like you right. walk in and there's a piano bar. It's like you the stage has been set for you to have a real night. It's not just about exactly. the meal. It's about exactly. how you're going to feel in this place and like the way that they take care of you. And I think like a really good maitre d' or really good manager does that, right? Where it's like, they make you feel so special, even if they've never met you before, even if like you just walked in off the street and didn't even have a reservation, exactly. they're going to make you feel like, like a million bucks. <laughs> People loved it there because it sort of made you feel like, you know, even if you were a local or weren't a local and were visiting, you felt like you were sort of like in on this like secret neighborhood spot, you know? Right, right. Which is why I wanted to ask about why celebrities love steakhouses. Back in the day, it wasn't like the Rat Pack was there. And they were also like, they would go to Delmonico's in New York. I just feel like 
Now it's like Drake goes to, it's like, it gives you the sense of like, yeah, it's kind of a secret thing and you feel private and it's dark, but just celebrities love those steakhouses. They do. And also one of my favorite things on earth is like a celebrity photo wall. And I feel like that is something that is always yes. a steakhouse. Yes. That's like the Very one true. ubiquitous thing. Yep. And it's like always like real randos that make it on, but oh, there's God. nothing better. True. I also love when you can like see a proprietor age through the photos. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Oh, he started this place when he was 20 and now he literally has no teeth left. Yeah. So beautiful. So the steakhouse was open and then was the cheesecake just so popular that Eli was like, you know what? This has got to be the biggest spinoff of all time. In the late 70s and and the steakhouse opened in 66, he was just buying other desserts that he wasn't making in house and mm-hmm. ate them and started experimenting in the kitchen and basically between like lunch and dinner service and then would bring the cake to his regulars and they would give him feedback. And then he put it on the menu. And then in 1980, there was the first taste of Chicago, which Sophie is like this huge food festival, largest food festival in the world. Yeah. Kind of oh my in God. 1980, I think they thought like some people will show up. It's not going to be that busy. And there's like insane overhead shots of Michigan Avenue just with like filled with people. Like it, I have to ask my dad how many people were there, but it was like, you know, like hundreds of thousands of people. Oh my God. And yeah, it's crazy. people like, and my grandfather was in a suit and tie, like in Chicago summer weather, like serving cheesecake to the masses. And um, my dad was, uh, he had just graduated law school. He was oh. uh, practicing law, like he was doing preservation historic law, which very, very much ties in with my dad's love of Chicago history. Yes. And he kind of just in that moment had this like big, like light bulb aha moment. And he decided to quit law and open the cheesecake business sort of on its own. Oh so my it's God. so cool because- it's a family business, but my dad is an entrepreneur sort of like within this family business structure. That's and now you've so taken crazy. over the mantle, which is so amazing. And it's kind of, the parallels are really cool. Cause my dad was 30 when he decided to do that. And then I came into the business at 30. Yes. So that I think is very cool. It is. Oh, Four and years. Sophie, they're like the centerpiece of taste of Chicago. They, oh how big is the cheesecake God. that you guys that oh, you guys we do. Like a, we serve like a 1500 pound cheesecake too. <laughs> and they have, don't you have masses? And it's like your dad and some like great Chicago figure or rant, or is it all, is it just some celebrity or person? Yeah, like cut it like, together. Yeah. Like in the early days, there's this amazing picture with like Mayor Byrne in Chicago and she's with my grandfather and Rich Melman, who's like a very, very famous restaurateur in Chicago. And they're like doing a tasting of the so food. Great. I kind of think it started with like Chicago's always been a hospitality town and it's had mm-hmm. these like amazing restaurant tours. So I think it was sort of like a celebration of them. And that's why I also think it was so popular. I mean, Chicago has really always been such a good food city. Here we are. We're back. Should we just jump right back in? Jump right into that 1,500 pound cheesecake. I can't get over that. That is so magical. Oh my God. It really is. It's and amazing. It's also- I mean, a big anything in terms of food is just like, there's not a human being on the planet who's like, that's not impressive. Like a large, a large right. serving of food, people stop and stare. I don't care who you are, where you came from. It's impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> 
I also think there's something really, there's just something so not precious about it. You know, it's like, no, we think it would be really fun and hilarious to bake a 1500 pound cheesecake and also impressive. So we're going to do it. Yes. Everyone will share the same cake. I know I'm not the Chicago in here, but I want to touch on something that Alana brought up that I did not even know was a thing. Obviously last week, Ari and I discussed deep dish and then Alana was like, no, we need to discuss thin crust. which she thinks is even more Chicago than deep dish is squeeze me. You blew my mind. What's the story. When I worked at Munchies, I produced a show all about pizza for like two years. The show was not called all about pizza. It was called the pizza show, but let's pretend it was called all about pizza. (laughs) And, um, we did a Chicago episode. There's a lot of pressure when you do an episode of something on where, where you're from, Ari, maybe you're experiencing it with the podcast. Mm. You want to get things right, but there's also some yeah. stuff you might not know. And so right. I discovered sort of, it clicked when I did this one interview with this local food person named Steve Delinsky, the hungry hound. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow. And uh, if you're in, if you're at a Chicago restaurant, nine times out of 10, you will see a framed headshot of him signed. <laughs> Yep. Then you know you're at you're at a spot that the hungry hound has visited. Wow. So I interviewed Steve at um, an iconic pizzeria, Vito and Nick's, yep. um, known for tavern style thin crust. And he said to me, you know, Chicago is a thin crust city, and it it made a lot of sense to me because, you know, growing up, I ate deep dish, but not that often. Right. More often, I ate a thin crust pizza, a party cut thin crust pizza. Cut in squares. And then you get, so you get squares. And then Ari, you get that tiny little triangle, you yep. know, where on the on the edges. And you get yep. like these tiny little pieces and they're like super crispy. Yep. So in that moment, oh. I thought, yeah, like we're more of a thin crust city. I would say deep dish is delicious. Of course, I've eaten countless slices in my lifetime. But it's probably more popular when people come to visit that aren't from Chicago. Ah, okay. Wait. Now, first of all, you said tavern-style pizza. Never heard of that. Second of all, you're talking to me about cutting a round pizza into squares, correct? Yes. Correct. Okay. Talk to me about tavern-style. I mean, I'm I'm here for it. Is tavern-style really – that's Vito and Nick's. It's like that cracker-thin – there's there's a, a few places in Chicago that are really known for that style. Marie's Pizza on Lawrence, amazing. Yes. Um, it's also a, a liquor store and a pizzeria. Couldn't ask for more. Love Very that. Chicago. Um, but like Vito and Nick's, um, that's like they're they're celebrating their hundredth anniversary this Holy month. Shit. Um, wow. They're the they have like the oldest I think old style account in Chicago. Like they were the first people to serve it and. There, there's also other cities where tavern style pizza is a is a thing. Um, New Jersey is known for having tavern style, and I think it's just this idea like you're drinking and you need something like crunchy and salty to sort of like fill you up as you drink. So the crust is thin. crunchy; it's not floppy. No, it it's like it, it's crisp. Yeah, wow. there are places in Connecticut that do it too. Yes, that is so interesting. Yeah. Okay. I can kind of picture it. Okay. It's almost like a cracker. It's more of a snacking pizza. I remember the first time I saw like a a Mm. slice, slice of pizza or like. Like a New York style slice. But like, I remember that pizza too, but it's just, it's a lot of pizza when you're used to like having a couple squares of pizza. I feel like in Chicago, it's normal to get like a pizza for 20 people. 
You know what I mean? That's just normal. It's like, whoa, you're just always like around that many people or like your family is that many people. (laughs) I remember there was like one place in Chicago that did like New York style pizza. And I remember seeing it as like a middle schooler and being like, what is this slice of pizza? This is so much. Cut. And yeah. now, obviously, like after living in New York, it's like, duh, that's how most people experience pizza. Yeah. I mean, I do kind of love the idea that like in Chicago, you get pizza for 20 people and in New York, you just get a slice for yourself. It's like, yeah. no, New York is like solitary. You're thinking about yourself. You're on the go in right. Chicago. It's like, hey, come in. We're family. It's, it's so all of true. Garden of Cities. Oh, that's <laughs> such a good point because it's like, it's not that like neighborhoody running through going to grab a slice on the way to the train. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm committing to either I'm going to get a whole pizza to take home or mm-hmm. like I'm sitting here and eating this with multiple people. Yeah. Oh my God. You also mentioned like that sausage is a big Chicago thing, which of course we talked about, you know, hot dogs, but like you said something about pizza. What's the story? What's the deal? I mean, I did not grow up as sausage being the our topping of choice in our family. It just wasn't. For us, we would get, when we'd have deep dish, it was always stuffed spinach, which Very I good. don't know if that's a, like a common thing, but it's delicious. Then, like, as I got older, and especially when I came back to do this episode of the pizza show, it just, I realized how important sausage is in Chicago as a topping. And especially, like, if you get Lou Malinati's deep dish, there's truly, like, a full layer of sausage on the bottom. We're not talking about just a few crumbles in the the pizza. It's like a pancake of sausage on the bottom. Pretty amazing. Damn, that that is amazing. We always had sausage on our pizza, but because I think that's like from uh, the Italian side of my family. But it's an Italian food. It's a Polish food. It's a German food. And those are three huge immigrant groups in Chicago. I mean, Chicago, yeah, Polish sausage. It's there's sauce. There is. It's a sausage city. Yeah, and like. You meant we we talked about this before, um, but like the stockyards in Chicago, like this was like the mecca for like meat production. It was, yeah. So and there was like you know, I think especially with pork, like it would make sense that sausage became such a popular topping. But there's also like there was a huge Jewish community, so that's not to like go off topic, but I learned that with the Chicago hot dog, like the first hot dogs were sort of like brought by the Germans and it was a mixture of beef and pork. But then because of like all the Eastern European Jews that came to Chicago, that's when it became beef. Beef. Yeah. We talked obviously last week about the Chicago style hot dog, but Alana sent us this super fascinating article because the hot dog itself is like a microcosm of all these different communities. Like each different topping represents a different immigrant community. And it's so wonderful. It's really cool. It's yeah. so cool. Like even the bun, I threw that article and it was there. Like, um, there's this, uh, WBEZ show called Curious City where people submit questions. And it was just like, what are the origins of hot dogs? And then um, they did this episode where they interviewed a hot dog historian. Hello, dream job. Oh my God. <laughs> but it was so cool to know that even like the bun, you know, in German culture, I guess very popular to eat like bread with your meat, but then it was oh, like of course. 
Jewish population that like ended up putting the poppy seeds on because like that was a part. So it's just like so cool. And then and then like the the peppers had something to do with you guys probably remember this better than I do from the article. But like when there was a train to, to was it to Mexico? Yes, there was a train to Mexico. Exactly. And they threw on those peppers, which is like, wow. Sport peppers, yeah. which I had never even heard of. I feel like I've never had a sport pepper outside of a Chicago-style hot dog. Are they in Jardinera? Or is that what, like, are they chopped in there? I've just only have ever seen them on hot dogs. I know that it's, like, literally impossible to find them outside of Chicago because I have mm-hmm. tried in New York and I could never find sport peppers. It's actually hard to find a bun, I think, with poppy seeds, too. Very, oh, very hard. I've never very seen hard. one in my life. When you guys were talking about poppy seeds, I was like, I think you mean sesame. I'm so confused. Oh, but can I tell you guys one more thing about hot dogs? Please tell us many more things. Oh, yeah. So I I live in a neighborhood that has like two good hot dog places. Um, one of them is Byron's, which is like a mm. really classic Chicago place. So if you go to Byron's, one thing about Chicago hot dogs is like they refer to the toppings as being r- dragged through the garden. Through the garden. Because it has all this veg on it. So mm-hmm. like I went to Byron's within the past year and I asked for everything on it. Now, if you go there and you get everything, you know, in addition to the classic toppings, you get green peppers, lettuce, and cucumbers. Lettuce? What kind of lettuce? Like iceberg lettuce. Shredded? Shredded. It was like, literally looked like I had a salad on a bun. That's so weird. I think the cucumbers tripped me out. I can't imagine that texture. How are they cut? They were thick. <laughs> they were like thick rings. Whoa. Oh no. And I was like, I need to know more. And then when you guys asked me to be on this and I had listened to part one, you were talking about Chicago hot dogs. I, I had to go research, like, is this just specific to Byron's? And apparently it's not. It's like a variation that you will find at some places. Whoa. Although you will find a variation referred to as the depression dog, which I believe only has mustard onions and sport peppers maybe like it's missing other elements i also loved in the article that alana sent us basically it it exposes the reason that ketchup is supposed to stay so far away from your hot dog and the reason is literally just like you got all this great stuff on it ketchup will ruin it (laughs) i you know i i do think that's kind of true because all those other things are so specific and ketchup is something that just like Everything you eat in ketchup kind of just tastes like ketchup. Like it totally. overwhelms. It's like what, how you get kids to eat green beans, you know, or broccoli. Right. It's like, it's so, it's like whether you put a fry or a chicken tender or a green it's bean or like your finger, it'll just all taste the same. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, our, it's our president's favorite food. <laughs> <laughs> um, how often, well, are you haven't lived in Chicago in a while, but like imagine that you're living in Chicago. How often do you foresee yourself having a Chicago style hot dog? I ate one before this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Where did you go, Byron's? I went to Budaki's Drive-In on Damon. These names, Budaki's Drive-In on Damon, like take me there. <laughs> it was a great hot dog. And I, there was a big storm and then it kind of let up. I got my hot dog. I ate it in the car. And I was just thinking like, you know, it's amazing about Chicago hot dog stands. Like this was three fifty. It always comes with fries, oh, yes. and it's like a great meal. And it's sort of like it's for everyone. And I think that's what's like a really nice thing about totally hot dog stands and restaurants, like and beef stands in Chicago. Like you get every walk of life. Yeah, that's awesome. I was just gonna say, I feel like that's part of actually what makes Chicago a really special food city. 
is that you can do that. And of course, New York has the same thing of like, you can get dumplings, you know, you can get like 12 dumplings for three bucks or you can get a great slice of pizza, but it seems like Chicago has more institutions. Like a lot of the New York places, I think, unfortunately have closed or, you know, Mm -hmm. or like they've decided to up their prices, which is totally fair, but it feels like Chicago has retained a lot of that, which is so special and so fucking cool. Yeah. And a big variety. There's like a whole bunch of different food groups that you can go get a specialty food item that is not too expensive and you can get it at any time. There are no uh, food carts, food trucks in Chicago. It's illegal. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that's why there's just, we're allowed to have more of these brick and mortar places that haven't been shoved out that are still there. And they're just doing one thing really well and it's not too expensive. You can just go get it. And it, Pretty great. So many great food items debuted at the the World's Fair of 1893. It's so so true. And like, you had to have like two World's Fairs, 1893 and 1933, Mm -hmm. and like showed off so much of what the city had and like also brought in all these like new foods. And um, there's like, I was, there's two dishes that I always grew up with at the Eliza place for steak that are like Chicago foods, which are shrimp Dijon and chicken Vesuvio. Yes. And when I, I was like earlier today, I was like, I wonder what the origins of shrimp Dijon are. And then learned it was like two um, Belgium immigrants, I think that came for the 1893 world's fair to like have yeah. their restaurant. And that's like where it was created. And it's so interesting. Those are kind of like dishes that, probably no one would know are like specific to Chicago and like, Wait, I don't even know what they are. Shrimp Dijon is like a baked shrimp dish covered in like sherry breadcrumbs with like so much olive oil and butter and garlic mm. and parsley. It's so just like good. the shrimp is just like drowning in butter. It's so good. And then chicken Vesuvio, like people don't know the origins as much, but it was like, chicken with like these wedge potatoes and garlic and parsley and white wine sometimes served with peas. But when I used to eat growing up, it didn't. Yeah. And that's also like, of course, a dish that you would probably find other places too, but was very popular in Chicago. Yeah. I always thought that it would just must be popular everywhere. And that, that was one thing that I learned really late in life. Cause I'd be like, oh yeah, we're like a chicken Vesuvio. People would be like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, I just thought it was like chicken it. Parmesan, chicken Vesuvio, chicken, you know, <laughs> so Marabella. Surprising. It's so surprising because it yeah, just, it's like simple. Guys, what the hell is Malort? Oh, Malort? Malort. You got it right the first time. Is it German? No, it's Swedish. It I is Swedish. Sweet. There are a lot of Swedes in Chicago. I mean, up by you, like Andersonville, right? That's like Ann Sather. A lot of, yeah, big community. Foods that have really influenced Chicago, the Chicago culinary scene. But one of them was, is and was Malort, which is a super, super duper high, like, I guess like an aquavit alcohol content. People like take shots of Malort. It's like a thing that Chicagoans do. It's like you do it usually like on a dare. I mean, like right. I do, but I think there are some old, you know, you go to your local bar and there's some people just like slinging it, but wow. it's crazy. Mm. I wish because I could say you're not I was 16 in Chicago taking shots of Malort. Right, not happening. But I wasn't that cool. <laughs> you know what I was drinking when I was 16 in Chicago? Some Eli's cheesecake in a blended with like some vodka in uh, a blender at your parents' house. <laughs> well, notice to our listeners: buy an Eli's cheesecake and put it in your blender with some a vodka. Mudslide. What an excellent idea! 
a shulman mudslide. Wait, can um, we talk for a sorry. second though, just because we're touching right back on uh, cheesecake right now? A dipper is the most ingenious way to eat cheesecake. And I wish that Sophie knew, like everyone should know what this is. Alana, as you take over Eli's, can you please, like, can we get some dippers like at Trader Joe's? Now that having a night is number 26 on the arts podcast, on Apple's arts podcast, podcast. exactly. Why don't you tell all of our listeners what the fuck a dipper is? A dipper is a frozen piece of cheesecake. It can be plain or chip on a stick dipped in chocolate. Uh, There's two variations of chocolate. Sometimes it will just be like a chocolate candy bar coating, but sometimes it has cornflakes mixed in. So it's like crunchy chocolate. That's my favorite. Oh my God. I mean, it's just like, it's a portable way to eat a a cold. It's like having a, a cheesecake popsicle. Well, you know what it's like, which Ari is going to kill me. It's like a cake pop. (laughs) It's not because it's cold. Ari's like, cake pops are disgusting. But like, it's a literal cake pop. It's a cheesecake pop. Yeah, it's a cheesecake pop. But it's a slice. It's a a triangle. We're in the Midwest. It's a full It's not a cake pop. Oh my God. How does it stick up there? How does it stay all the way up there? Well, it's frozen. So it's like, you can't let it thaw and eat it because it would fall off. Right. (laughs) It's all about keeping it at the right temp. Wow. So good. So good. That's what I love and maybe like uh, love and loathe about the Midwest. No, I love it. But it's sort of like that, um, you know, Midwestern like state fair vibe where just like everything's like big and like bold and it's like and portable yeah and portable and portable and that's like you don't get you're not going to get that in los angeles you're you get that in chicago it's like it's freezing here for a lot of the year like people eat heavy intense yeah. things yeah. yeah i mean what's funny is like you like you would have that in la but it would be people would be lined up around the block take photos of it take one bite and then like throw it in the garbage Correct. You know, like it was literally like so good. It was like right. delicious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. As they're throwing it in the garbage, um, but it's true, right? It's a, it's a, it's a very different, wonderful mentality. More is more. I think you we guys should. Sorry. Get into uh, just for a little, because um, we shouldn't go on too much longer. The Maxwell Street Market and uh, Alana, can you tell us a bit about its history? So Max Street Market, like the main part of the market is like Halstead and Roosevelt. And it's like, it, it changed a lot throughout the years, but it's where like you would basically just walk the street and there was like food carts and people selling random items. Like my grandfather was there selling shoes at the back of a truck. It was right. like these entrepreneurs that kind of came and like just kind of set up shop and sold different things. And so like one of the iconic foods that came out of that area was the Polish sausage. Mm-hmm. Jim's original is still in that neighborhood. Um, but it was sort of like the convergence of all these immigrant communities. So it's like, I always think that's where you get the best food. It's like when you analyze a Chicago hot dog and you see like all these different people that played a part in the creation of this delicious thing. Yeah. Oh my God. Wait. And so was it, was it seven days a week? Was it like, I think it was Sunday. I think it was Sundays only. Okay. Okay. So it was like, it's Sunday. We're going to Maxwell. I'm going to go get uh, a Polish sausage and like buy some shoelaces, like, right. you know, oh random, random awesome. things. And then like a version of the market exists now. And obviously it's just like, 
as neighborhoods change and, you know, there was just like different groups of people that sort of lived in that neighborhood, it sort of evolved. And now it's like, um, people sell like all different kinds of household items and clothing. And there's like amazing Mexican food, like the most amazing Mm. tacos and all like lots of delicious things. Um, but it's like, you know, it was probably in the late 1800s to the 1920s that it was like mostly, uh, Eastern European Jewish run market. Yeah. So there's definitely like a lot of ties to like Vienna beef and Maxwell street, like all these very like iconic Chicago brands have roots there. So, um, it's definitely like an important part of Chicago, Chicago history that I would like to learn more about. Right. So I'll report back once I read a few books on it. <laughs> Speaking of books, I was like doing more of a deep dive in, into all this stuff. And I found these, these, this group of women who a couple years ago put out the food encyclopedia of Chicago. And I saw that they had some, had some event where they were doing Chicago food trivia. And I look and like the event was I think held at Eli's or sponsored. <laughs> Eli. I was like, well, I can't do this trivia because a lot of them. But it's just, I love that not only has your family been involved in, in the food industry and scene and such an integral part of the like Chicago lifeblood, but just the continued interest in like, yeah, in Chicago history. Maybe that's something that your dad brought to the, but you guys all share but it's not just like, yes, we are a restaurant that's in Chicago that's been going on for a long time. It's like, we're supporting these women who are writing a book about Chicago. It's just totally I mean, so I- tied to the city. So Ari, do you want to ask some of your trivia? And then I have one last closing question. All right. Um, what Chicago sweet and salty snack is so iconic that it's mentioned in the lyrics of the official anthem of baseball? Cracker Jacks? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also brought to Chicago or invented in Chicago uh, for the World's Fair, the first World's Fair. But with many, like, uh, also, this is a, another trivia question, but I'll just say the answer. Uh, Vienna beef. Those guys came from, from <gasps> Vienna to sh- share their hot dogs. They were so popular at the World's Fair. They stayed, started Vienna beef, talked to the Jews. They wanted all beef, They're, you know. <laughs> Oh my God. God, the World's Fair brought us so many great things. I was about to say, this whole conversation just makes me want to learn so much more about the World's Fair. Redouble White City. Sorry, keep going, keep going. I'm so sorry. Um, Let's see. (laughs) What tavern put a curse on the Cubs in 1945? Billy Goat? Yeah. Um, What famous dessert snack hybrid was invented in 1930 in Chicago by James Dewar, who supposedly ate two a day until he died five years later? Can you give me some hints? Uh, It has a filling. Is it a Twinkie? Yes. (laughs) Love a Twinkie. Or you could have said, like, it will never get grown. Yeah, it'll never go bad. (laughs) Yes. Okay. What popular bake sale item was invented by the Chicago Palmer House to impress the crowds at the World's Fair? It was, I think, a brownie. Yes! Well, you guys are good. The last name of the woman that invented it, like, it's something Palmer. I can't remember. Yeah, I think she was, like, the wife of of Charles Palmer. And and she, is that, like, and that's related to the Palmer House, Hilton? Yes. Which is, like, a real, have you been to the Palmer House? It's, like, a real blast. Yes. Yeah. Black in the past when you walk through those halls. Oh, oh, this is one I didn't know. 
What edible mix stirrer slash garnish was first dunked into everyone's favorite brunch cocktail at Chicago's Ambassador East Hotel in 1960? I, I realized how hard it is to write trivia when I was making these questions. So I was like, wait a second. I don't think I know this one, but I want to, I'm going to try to guess. So like, yes. is it a Bloody Mary? Wait, yes. Is that the drink? So yeah. is it, it like to be celery? Thing? It's celery. Oh, and that makes sense because Chicago was like, I think a lot of celery was produced in Chicago, hence yes. celery salt on the Chicago dog. Exactly. Exactly. And weirdly, Ari, I think it was like Lakeview where most of the celery was grown, which is so weird to think of. I know. Well, so much of the city, it's like, yeah, well, not too long ago, this was just a field. Field of celery. <laughs> a field of celery. I, that was funny too. We, um, in the hot dog article about celery salt and the celery representing like a big Chicago crop and like people touting the health benefits of celery during that time. It's like, well, they're kind of doing that now. All yeah, these influencers like drinking celery yeah. juice. It's like, mm, cool. So you're just drinking water? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so true. let's end it on this last question, which is deceptive because it might seem like the simplest question, which is what? Does the word Chicago mean? I do know this one, but I can't remember if it is because I've heard two things, stinky onion and wild onion and just onion. I don't know which of the three it is. Sophie, do you have any ideas? I'm going with wild onion because it sounds so much more romantic. Okay. So everyone I believe is right and... So I remember learning that it was wild onion, and I think I did hear stinky onion at some point. But I read more specifically, and this hopefully is true, that it means ramps. Oh, Whoa. which is like so crazy because and that's we love ramps. Sense. Yeah, I was playing Chicago trivia with uh, Chris's family. They were so sweet; they threw me this Chicago night when I was still in Connecticut, and they did Chicago trivia. And I had found ramps on their property, which I think I mentioned back in like April, whenever that was. And it was like this amazing thing. And we were like eating ramps for a month, and then to know that Chicago actually—it's the the name Chicago means ramps. Cool. I, it was just so beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. But the thing is, I don't think I've ever seen a wild, I don't even know if I've eaten a wild ramp in Chicago. I've Maybe they've only come into vogue the past 10 years when since I've been living on the East Coast. But like, I don't know. I didn't know about ramps till like in the past couple of years where it was just like, everything is ramp. Right. Right. Totally. Totally. It's insane. But also like, I would like to go try to find ramps next year in Chicago. Let's go ramp hunting. I'll be there. Alana, thank you so much for coming on. You are incredible. I am astounded at your breadth, the breadth of your knowledge. It's really something. I feel like I didn't give you enough historical information, but I tried my best. No, yeah, I next we'll just have on your back. in there. Okay, <laughs> God, you just the podcast is not about bringing back the art of the dinner party. It's about ramps in Chicago. <laughs> it's about bringing back the Shulman three. Yeah, <laughs> it was so fun. I love you guys, and I, I really love you. to hang out with you in Chicago. Same. Oh my god, that was so fun. I could talk to her for hours. I know she's the best. She's the best. By the way, guys, if you have not seen our olive oil orange cake 
on our Instagram. You should really go in and check it out because it's very funny and very fun. And the cake was really delicious. So just saying. Yes, please watch it and subscribe to our YouTube channel if that's something you do or just share it with your friends because we're really trying to get our videos out there because we work really hard on them. And if you enjoy them, find someone else who you think would enjoy it and gift it to them. Also, you guys, we were number 26 in arts, in <gasps> Apple Arts podcasts yesterday. Yes. Very big deal. So thank you for listening to us and telling your friends that they would like us and all of that stuff. We were really excited. Ari and I were texting each other being like, wait, I can't believe this. <laughs> I can't believe it either. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. We really, we've been at this, as you know, for a long time and it's a pretty competitive industry. And so we just appreciate all of you so much. And we do this for you guys and we love creating this community and being able to to talk to you each week and to communicate on Instagram. Okay. Well, on that note, thank you to Colin, our fantastic editor and to Alana for coming on. Yeah. And we will see you guys next week. Oh, you'll see us on chip hour. Next yep. Wednesday, 6 PM. Bye-bye. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.